take your Bibles now, turn to Revelation 21, and as you get to Revelation 21, I'm going to talk a little bit about our recent Governor uh, Brown's mandate. When did that come out? Was that Wednesday or Thursday or Friday or what, what day was that? It was Friday, okay. Let me just tell you how, how it went for me and, and what we're going to do, and I'm going to do this to the best of my ability. Uh, I'll tell you my story and uh, tell you what I expect from you guys as your friend and as your pastor. Uh, when I received the notification, I didn't know there was a... Uh, press conference. I didn't know anything. I don't, I don't watch the news. I got stuff to do. I don't need to watch the news. And I got a text. I was on my knees when I got the text. I wasn't praying, but as soon as I got the text, I started praying. I was on my knees painting. I was at the church offices painting this French door we just put in. I was on there, you know, cutting in the corners. And the first text I got telling me that Oregon was going into a two-week freeze and that that would limit churches in the new way, the person who texted me was our very own mayor, Dean Sawyer. And so one of our highest ranking city officials here in Newport, first he, hey Luke, this is the new standard. This is what we got to do. And as I got that text, I was like, oh, that's unfortunate. Glad I'm on my knees. And I started to get more text from pastors. I had this thread where Oregon pastors all over the four corners of Oregon began sharing links and articles and their own reactions and verses. And here's what we're going to do. Here's what we're going to do. Just kind of, here's what we're going to do, you know. And, and somewhere, it's just, we started processing and I don't know how the Lord speaks through you, but the, to you, but the Lord speaks to me. And I just, I was there with Pastor Ryan and, and Pastor Bo was there and, and Pastor Adam was there. We were all working and, and I, I hit mute on the music and I said, hey, organs unfreeze again, two weeks. And my first thought was, you know what? It's just two weeks. It's just two weeks. Like, it's just two weeks. I was just kind of given that kind of peace and comfort. It's just two weeks. Now, you guys remember the first two weeks we got assigned? It's been a long two weeks. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? It's been a long time. And so I'm, I'm the half glass full kind of guy, like, yeah, yeah, you know what? You know, it's kind of how God made me. And so I just, I just, I was okay. And I looked at my staff and I said, guys, you know what we could do? We could keep doing live services. Like I'll preach, I'll prepare, we'll show up somewhere. And then we'll just, we'll ask everyone to stay home in their pajamas, okay? Like a bunch of people are doing right now. And for two weeks, I'll, I'll preach and, and we'll just, we'll do it at home. I'll do it live from the studio at the, at the, across the bridge or right here and just for two weeks. And, and how many of you guys are thinking right now, yeah, but it's going to be longer than two weeks. It's going to be longer than two weeks. Like, let me just say, listen, we don't, I don't know. Let's talk then. I don't know. Some counties up in Multnomah and, you know, Washington County, all those guys, they have four-week freeze. And I don't know what's going to happen. As a matter of fact, let me just talk to Lincoln County real quick. Isn't it unfortunate that Lincoln County is getting lumped into some of the other counties that are, they're exploding right now with coronavirus. I don't know if you guys know this. I, I personally, I kind of checked out of the coronavirus discussion a while ago. I'm, in, I'm from Lincoln County. I sometimes forget that the virus is still a real thing. That's why I'm like, oh no, mask. I prove, whoops, you know what? You know, I don't got to make a mask. And I, I just kind of, that's my problem, not yours. And yet in, in uh, other counties, it's actually exploding. It's spiking. It's going crazy. And it's unfortunate that we had, we had 10 cases, I think, yesterday or the day before. It's like, which is a lot for Lincoln County. We were pretty, pretty well protected, thank God. And so all of these things we're juggling, we're balancing, and what's the right decision, what's the wrong decision? And if you're like me, man, you don't even have all the information and you don't trust the information you do have. You feel like you're being lied to and you probably have and all the numbers, they don't add up. And maybe you still got a little bit of PTSD from like, February and March, when we thought two million people were going to die, and it's like, oh, you know, you know, you're scared. They scared you so bad. And you're like, well, it turns out not that bad, you know. And now you're like, well, it's not that bad. What do we? And you're just all these conflicting arguments. I'm with you. I'm with, 
You and I probably agree about 110% on all the, the realities of the, the misnumbers and the, the false information and just all this stuff. Okay, I just, I'm just what, do we, what do we do though? And I felt the Lord speak to me, it's okay. It's okay. This isn't the time, not, not for you. And, here, and let me say this also. I've got other pastors, friends, and people who, who think 100% differently than I am in action. They think we have the same thought process, but they think they're gonna act differently. We're gonna resist, we're just gonna do it. We're gonna, man, Kate Brown, come find me. You know, and that's fine. You know what, and here's what I've chosen to do. I'm not gonna say I'm right there wrong, okay? I, I thumbs up, good job. Okay, follow the Lord, whatever the Lord. I support my pastor friends, and we're just gonna keep going. My pastor, Mark Anderson, had one, such a cool announcement yesterday. He's like, you know what we're gonna do? If, you're, if you should stay home, please do. If you wanna stay home, then please do. But we're, he, here's what he said. He said, we're just gonna keep gathering, though. We're not gonna be pr prideful, and we're not gonna promote it. We're not gonna take out radio ads. You know, we're, just, we're gonna show up to church, and if you wanna be there with us, then don't cause a rough, just show up. You know, I thought that was so cool. I'm so proud of him, just so cool. And my other friends, were they're more, this is it. Draw on the line, this is Acts chapter five. Who shall we serve, God or man? You decide, you know? <laughs> and I'm like, I don't, know if, I don't know. I don't know if I see it that clear yet. One day it will be there. I'm gonna toe up, man. I'm gonna toe up for fiery furnace. Here we go, lines down, let's rock and roll. But I just, I don't see this as that. Not yet. Because the government hasn't stopped us from gathering, from believing, from praying, from worshiping, like they did Daniel, like they did Three Amigos. They haven't stopped us from that. They, they just messed with our systems, as well as everyone else's system, for the virus' sake. Right or wrong, I'm not a medical professional. Any doctors in here? Like, let's talk afterwards. Tell me what you think. Most of us in here are YouTube professionals. <laughs> I got a YouTube channel, bro. You know, I saw this one video. But I was thinking about this the other, yesterday. In the book of Acts, not chapter five, where they do practice civil disobedience. Biblical civil disobedience. Acts chapter four comes before chapter five. And here's, here's, in Acts chapter four, here's what happens. They are arrested and they are commanded, don't preach in Jesus anymore. Okay, that's, that's bad. That's, that's not what we're dealing with here. And so the Bible says, here's the, here's the challenge. The Bible says that they went, Acts chapter four, immediately to their own companions. And they prayed and they recited scripture. And they prayed and recited scripture. They sought the Lord in what he had said and they sought each other in the Lord. And so here's my challenge for you guys. Let me talk about civil disobedience just real quickly. Biblical civil disobedience requires two things. It requires biblical authority, okay, which means verses. Lots of them. Where people, and mandates, and governors, and kings, and rulers are coming against direct orders, violating biblical rights, and not American rights, biblical rights and biblical principles. And when you are in your life and unable to do what the Bible says to do, which at this point, just pick a lens, okay? You can gather right now with 25 people. That's more than Jesus had. Jesus only picked 12. Got the job done. You can have twice as many people as Jesus for two weeks. You need biblical authority. And then listen, to, to stand up to 
stuff, but you also need personal humility. Personal humility. When the men and women stood for what's right over the centuries, biblically right, and in the New Testament, they humbly didn't draw their sword. Jesus said, don't do that. Jesus said, you want to you resist? Then put your head on the guillotine and lose it. Climb up on the cross, upside down, Pete. Jesus told Pete in John 21, you're going to be crucified upside down, bro. That's how it's going to go for you. In humility. There will be a day for the church where with biblical authority and personal humility, we say, I, I can't do what you're asking me to do. May the Lord search your heart and search my heart. And, and God, God, it's so interesting to me how everyone responds differently. Like, just like this polarization. Like left and right, it's like clean, so it's like, whoa, crazy. And I'm just, I'm learning still. I'm a student, so like, wow. And you're super fired up. Okay, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. Have you ever thought that before? Have you ever said that about your conclusion? Man, maybe I'm wrong. Have you ever thought, maybe, you're wrong, Pastor Luke. You know, I don't, you know? I don't know. I'm still, I'm just saying, open. Let me end this teachable moment this way, though. I want to put upon you, for the next two weeks, a challenge. Let's look at this next two weeks. It's just two weeks. Let's look at this next two weeks. I'm going to prepare a sermon on Sunday, and I'm going to preach it live at 9 a.m., and you can be at home watching in your PJs or at your friend's house, and you can watch it at 9, 11, or 6 p.m. That's how it's going to go. Here's the challenge, though. Twofold. I want you next week to gather with people and watch the service. Because if, here, I'm gonna say something, I'm gonna say it as nice as I can, but it's gonna offend you. Okay, just brace yourself. Just coming in hot. Just gonna punch you in the face. Because if you are mad that we can't meet and then you don't, take the energy, time, and effort to meet, you're a hypocrite. Now, if you're a hypocrite, sit still and look at me. Okay, just making sure. We're all hypocrites. Like, we all say one thing. Like, we have hypocrisy in us, you know? But if you want to meet, like, I want to meet, because I want to meet too. The heck, dude? So here's my challenge. Meet. Let's redeem these next two weeks. Let's not take it laying down. Okay, Pastor Luke wants us to meet. Life groups, watch group, life, whatever, watch party. Maybe it's just your family. You're going to do it intentionally. Because if you don't do it, and you're allowed to, by the way. Did you know that? You're allowed to do it. Like, you haven't been disallowed to meet. It's just that we don't want to have a populace like this for two weeks to see what happens to the virus. Understand that. So the first challenge is going to be identified and expose your hypocrisy. The second thing, this is going to hurt too. It's coming in hot. Get ready. Brace yourself for this one. If you don't meet, it's not just because you're a hypocrite. It could actually be because your Christianity is broken. Listen, it could be because somehow in big church, as we know it, has produced through you and through me, a person who blends in, a person who falls through the cracks, a person who doesn't reciprocate to give and take, a person who isn't really in community 
And so when I say, hey, make sure and meet with somebody next week, it's not that you're a hypocrite and you don't want, you're, you're not going to because you really don't want to. It's you want to, but you can't because you don't know anybody. Because you don't love anybody. Because nobody knows you. Because nobody loves you. This hurts to say. And someone say, are you a Christian? And say, yeah, I go to the biggest church in town. <laughs> cool. Did they meet every single day? No, just Sundays. Bozos. Well, how's your Christian experience look Monday through Saturday? I don't know. It doesn't. So what if, what if this challenge, this two-week challenge, guys, we're pulling back a Band-Aid. We're looking at something like, ooh, ooh, uh-oh. Shoot. Shoot. What if, what if modern Christianity as we know it has produced in you a stunted version of Christianity? a selfish version of Christianity, a small, immature version of Christianity. Did you know that the early church gathered daily, Acts 2.42, and they broke bread and they fellowshiped in the apostles' doctrine and in prayer? It was a unique time. There was perilous days. Sounds like 2020. (laughs) Guys, let's not take this passively. Let's... Accept responsibility. Let's lead courageously. And let's invest eternally. Let's expect something. Guys, I love big church. I love, I love just getting it the way I want. I love walking in, seeing you guys. And we're there for 90 minutes. And it's super fun. And the Holy Spirit busts me up and puts me back together again. And whew, see you guys later, man. That was crazy. I'll see you later, man. See you later, you know. And, and I don't know about you, I can only speak for myself. I've got real relationships. I've got people that hold me accountable. I've got, I've got some of that stuff. Am I, am I good? Am I perfect at it? No. Do I hold people off just a little bit too much? Yep. What if the Lord, during this whole entire pandemic, says, hey, hey, I'm going to use the people of this world and their overreach and their injustice and the imbalance. I'm going I'm I'm to use all that to e-breaks on the church. Just expose a few weaknesses, a few things. See, if you're like me, you're saved. Going to heaven. But there's still some chinks on your armor. There's still some rough spots on the living stone that you are. And by God's grace, he's committed himself to you (gasps) until your last breath. He said, I'm gonna grow you. I'm gonna expose you. Because I love you. Peter says, Don't consider it strange concerning the fiery trials that are to try you, as if some strange things were happening. Like that song we sang just a few minutes ago. Refiner's fire, my heart's one desire is to be. You know what I'm saying? Most of us want a refiner's hot tub, not a refiner's fire. (laughs) Refiner's hot tub, you know. Am I right? It's a fire! (laughs) Burning away stuff that's flammable. But there's things that in you that aren't flammable. They just, they will, they will endure the fire. That's what God's doing. He's firing you up right now. And some of you spend the whole week just smoking. (laughs) You know, all this stuff's going on. Don't be surprised. 
Because the Bible says that you have faith. And it's got to be refined and it's got to be cultivated and developed, just like muscles. Muscles are cultivated and developed, refined and defined. How? Through pressure, tension, sweat. Imagine going to the gym, meet with your trainer, say, I'd like to discover my six-pack. It seems to be missing. I'd like to find one of those. They're pretty cool, you know? And I want to build my engine, you know, cardiovascular. I want to just grow on these things. And that's, that's what I want to do. And so then your trainer says, all right, we're going to go ahead and pick these weights up about 100 times as fast as we can and put them on the ground. You're going to pick them up, throw them down, okay? And we're going to run those hills like 10 times. And you look at this trainer like, I don't want to do any of that. Don't you have some gel I can just rub on it? I've seen that magic gel. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You're out. And the Lord, he says, I'm going to let you go through some fires. There's going to be weights in your life. There's going to be resistance, friction. Check this out. Not only does Peter say, don't be surprised. James, Jesus' little brother, chapter one of his book, he says, actually, guys, count it all joy. Glory in your trials. Knowing that they're producing patience, so that let patience have its perfect work in you that you lack nothing. That's incredible. James says to you and he says to me, instead of resisting trials and things and testings and weights and friction and resistance he says no no gloria how many guys are so good at this by now that when resistance comes your way when restrictions when trials come your way you instantly glory in it anybody there yet anybody there there was one liar at the 9 a.m service said he was there yet i was like yeah right dude you know what i'm saying like do you give glory glory to god another child Woo! you know come on so it's in chapter one you're like what what do you say glory in it because God's doing something. It's a two-week challenge. Let's let the Lord have his way in us. And... Guys, you only have one life. We're at the beginning of the sermon. I don't even know if we started yet. It's really important stuff, though. Not messing around. Kate Brown, the virus, all the stuff, man, big deal. Big deal. That's just the weights on the bar that you're pressing off your chest right now. Rep it out. Do it. Like men and women of faith. Guys, today's study is going to be so perfectly placed by God himself as we study heaven. We're all going to heaven in this room. I don't even, you've got to be going to heaven, okay? I don't know what, what your plans are when you die. Hopefully you are planning to go to heaven. I imagine you are because this is the 11 a.m. service during COVID season and you decided to come to church. You guys are crazy, okay? You guys are like, you're, you're, I'm going to heaven, dude. I'm here to show up, get my orders, and go out there and charge the hill. That's what we're doing. And so as we study Revelation 21 today, we're seeing a sneak peek of coming attractions, a little peek of what heaven's going to be like. It's like seeing a trailer for an upcoming movie and you see 90 seconds of it, you're like, oh. Oh, dude, that's going to be so good. You ever seen a trailer and you just immediately start to just salivate for that microwave popcorn, that movie theater popcorn, you know, I'm, I'm going to go see that movie. When you know what heaven is going to be like, when you know that's where we're going, when you have a heavenly mindset, you're able to endure the friction and the setbacks and the difficulties that life is going to continue to throw your way. You got to have a heavenly mindset. I'm going to say one quick prayer. And I, I love you guys. 
And I, I pray you'd love me too. I pray you'd give me grace. People are mad. I can't believe you're close. I can't believe you're gonna freeze, man. Can't believe you passed the link to the worst, you know. Or whatever. I think God's doing something deeper. Sometimes I'll go to the CrossFit gym and do a workout. And I'll look at the programming. And I get mad at my programmers. What kind of workout is this? You trying to hurt me? You trying, you know, what are you trying to do to me? I'm trying to make you a better man. Isn't that awesome? If God be for us, who can be against us? Guys, you're going to heaven. Like you're going to heaven. <laughs> How cool is that? You can't take that away from you. You're going to heaven. Mask or no mask. Restriction or no restriction. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that you would keep us humble, that you would give us biblical authority, that you would give us a peaceable spirit that is willing to yield. Wisdom from above. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him cry out to the Lord who will give liberally and without reproach to those who cry out for wisdom. I pray for my brothers and sisters here. Oh, Jesus, we surrender to you. We answer to a higher call. And so while we might not be 100% okay or happy with another freeze, especially in Lincoln County where we're just, while we might not be happy with that, I pray in Jesus' name we would not take it lying down, but instead we would be spiritual commandos. We would examine our own hearts. Am, am I an island? Have I surrounded myself with people that love me and that I love them, or have I become selfish and removed? And it has my fear kept me from letting people in? What's happened to me? May we not miss this beautiful moment to, to repent. I thank you so much for the grace of God. I need it for myself, Lord. I just I ask for your wisdom to bless my, my leaders at this church and all the churches up and down the coast and my friends here. We love you so much. Bless us now as we get into your word, we pray. In Jesus' name, and everybody said? Amen. Revelation 21, beginning in verse 21. Guys, I just want to continue the same challenge. We're looking at heaven. C.S. Lewis had a lot to say about heaven. I'll read to you three of his quotes. He said, if we find ourselves with the desire that nothing in this world can satisfy... The most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. T tuck that one away. You're never going to be completely satisfied on earth. I don't care how many relationships you have, how many experiences you have, how much stuff you have, how many places you go. You're, you're going to get to the end. Of <sighs> okay, I need some more. I need some more. Whatever I just had, I need more. What's wrong with me? There's a hole in my soul. I can't fill it. Well, because you're not made for here. You leak. No matter how much you put in, you just leak. Now, you can tuck that away. And then, I remember one time I was reading in the Proverbs, and it says, or in the Psalms, and it says that the eyes of man are never satisfied. Man, that verse set me so free. Like, wait, never satisfied? Never. You mean if I think I'm going to satisfy my eyes with the things of this world? If, if I try, 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 and try, and try, it'll, it'll actually never, never? And the Bible spoke to me and said, yeah, never. Huh. Well, I won't fall for that again. I won't fall for that again. Stupid world. You're not going to be satisfied. Here's another thing that C.S. Lewis said. He said, the fact that our heart yearns for something earth can't supply is proof that heaven must be our home. It's basically the same thing, just said differently. 
But now let me put a little bit of application to it. Let me go and throw some salt in your game. C.S. Lewis said that if you read history, you will find that the Christians who did most for the present world were precisely those who thought most of the next world. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this world. What? C.S., have you ever read about men and women who are so heavenly minded that they changed the entire globe? You ever read any autobiographies? You ever read about people who changed the world? They were so heavenly minded that they didn't take less as an option. Now you can just settle for less if you want. Why settle for less? What are you talking about? I'm going to heaven. I'm taking as many people as I can with me. And you got to have a heavenly mindset so that you might become earthly good. And everything you do, you can redeem it for the glory of God and for the good of others. It's what we do. But you got to continue to cultivate, to develop, and to make room for your heavenly vision. Because you remember our father of faith, good old honest Abe, not Lincoln, but Abe, Abraham, Abraham, way back in the day. Remember Abraham was asked by God, he said, hey, come and follow me and I'll make you a father of many nations. I'm gonna take your name from Abram to Abraham. Whoa, cool. Abraham was already rich. He was a pagan idolater with wives and kids and all kinds of stuff. And God says, you wanna follow me? I'll make your life even better. You know what Abraham said? Okay, okay. And he walked off his map and he followed God not knowing where he was going. You guys know that Abraham never saw that promise come to fruition? He lived in tents in the wilderness his whole life. Eventually, he would have Isaac. Isaac would have Jacob. Jacob would have the patriarchs, the grandkids of Abraham. Let me just read to you and unpack what I'm getting at here. This is in Hebrews chapter 11. It says, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going, and by faith he dwelt in the land of promise in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs of him, of the same promise. Listen, for he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. What allowed Abraham to let go of the world that he knew and to follow God by faith? Because he believed that he was following a God and would receive, listen, a city whose foundation and maker were God. And he knew this. Guys, we studied this last week as we looked at the new Jerusalem and the 12 foundations that have the names of the apostles written on them and the gates going in and out of the city, out of the, this new Jerusalem, have the foundation, or have the patriarch's name and the pearls. And we learned all of this stuff about heaven. And the reality is Abraham had that vision in his, in his mind, which allowed him to stay the course and to live his life by faith, not by sight. Now, here's the tension, okay? God's called us to that same heritage, that same promised land, but we're stuck right here. How many guys are stuck right here living in, the, in real life? Anybody stuck right here? You're like right here, okay. This is our tent time. This is our Abrahamic journey. This is our by faith we live in, not sight. And one day we'll lose our eyes of faith and we'll receive our eyes of sight and we'll see everything clearly. But right now, you're trusting the Lord and you're keeping your eyes on the prize. Now, we learned some things about the, the kingdom of heaven and the new Jerusalem. There's a new Jerusalem. There's going to be a new earth, and there's going to be a new heaven. 
This is going to happen after the thousand year reign, which happens after the seven year tribulation, which happens after the rapture of the church, which could happen today right around 2.30. If it doesn't after 2.30, it's going to happen maybe later this afternoon or tomorrow. We don't know when the rapture is going to happen, but it's going to happen next, which will bring about the tribulation period. And then the tribulation period, the thousand year reign, and then the new heaven and the new earth and the new Jerusalem. We might have a picture of, look at that little screen, that's cool, purple. We can put, look at this one over here. There it is. There's the new Jerusalem. This is a, a bunch of post-it notes uh, put together. This is showing you about how big the new Jerusalem will be. 1,500 miles cubed in all directions, up and down to the side and to the left and the right. Okay, this is going to be a big place. It's 15,000 times bigger than London, 40 times bigger than England, 10 times bigger than France and uh, Germany, and also one and a half times bigger than India and about the size of the moon. You can go and take that down. And here's what we learned last week. This is going to be the capital city of the new heaven and the new earth. Will the new earth be as big as the old earth? I don't know. It'll probably be bigger. Probably, I don't know. But evidently, the new Jerusalem is going to come down from heaven, and it's going to hover above planet Earth, and we'll have access to and fro, and that was what we were described last week. Next week, we'll be in Revelation 22, and we'll see the new Earth and the new heaven described in greater detail. But there were some things that we learned last week, some types and symbols and themes that helped us to understand a little more about what God is doing. Look at verse 21. It says the 12 gates were 12 pearls. Each individual gate was of one pearl and the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. Stop right there, eyes up here. We saw that these pearls were how we access in and out of the gates of the new heaven and the new earth. Last week, we learned that a pearl is a gemstone created inside an oyster that is accepted, or should I say, started at the beginning of an irritant that enters into that oyster. The smaller the pearl the smaller the irritant. The bigger the pearl, the bigger the irritant. And the way to get into the new Jerusalem, in and out, are through these giant pearls. One commentator, he speculates that the pearls wouldn't just be at the gates down below, but that the gates would also go through all 12 foundations and that the pearls themselves would actually be 1,500 miles tall. That's how big the pearls would be. Now, I don't know about you, but that's a big irritant. Each one of those gates, each one of those pearls has one of the names of the apostles written on it. Can you imagine when John saw that? He's like, there's my pearl. Dang, that's a big one. And the reality is, Jesus has taken us in our nature, in our natural man, irritants. And he's covered us in his grace. And we have become that pearl of great price. Remember in Matthew 13, Jesus told the parable of the merchant that found the pearl of great price. And he went and sold everything he owned in order to buy this pearl. Jesus taught that in Matthew 13. There's two biblical applications. Number one is that when a sinner hears the gospel of Jesus Christ, the most important thing he'll ever understand, what he'll do is he'll sell everything he has in order to obtain that new life. I'll do it, man. I'll give up everything. If you're like me, you gave up a lot of stuff to become a Christian. I was saved by grace, not of works, lest anyone should boast. But man, I had to change my whole lifestyle to be a Christian. I just, everything. And it was worth it. Jesus Christ and salvation is the most valuable thing in the world. That's one biblical application. The second biblical application is that the rich merchant that found the pearl who gave everything up in order that he might achieve it is Jesus. That Jesus, when he saw you, you were that pearl. And in order to absorb you, in order to purchase you, he had to give up everything he had. He left his kingdom. He left his throne. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Those pearls, man, they speak such volumes. It says that the streets of the city were pure gold like transparent glass. 
Guys, the most valuable thing on planet Earth, like the top tier most valuable thing on planet Earth is the bottom tier building materials in heaven. Just take that first bit. The thing that we esteem the highest on Earth is the building blocks and the foundation of heaven. Heaven is going to be so much more grand and amazing than we could ever imagine. Our high, highest expectation on Earth. Well, that's just where we start in, in heaven. This is on the ground. It's just asphalt. And it says that the streets are like transparent glass. You can see right there. I don't even know how to imagine that, what that even means. But what it speaks to me is that the roads we travel on in heaven are going to be transparent. The way we minister and deal and interact with one another, it's going to be clear and transparent. Have you ever met somebody who is clear and transparent? Like what you see is what you get. You ever met those kind of people? Let me ask you differently. Have you ever met somebody where you meet them and you're like, eh, I think they're lying to me. I think they're a phony. Have you ever met somebody like that? I have like a, a little bit of discernment. God's given me just a little bit. Of, and I can kind of just tell. And the people that are just truthful and clear and transparent, <laughs> so valuable. So fun to be around just a real person. Just, this, is, this is what you get, man. Wouldn't it be awesome if we all just decided to be those real people? Let's just, let's just be real. How many of you guys think that there's clarity and transparency and purity in our political system nowadays? <laughs> Sorry. Somebody, somebody's also just, you know. In heaven, it's going to be clear and pure. You'll be able to trust everyone. There'll be no deceit, no malice. Look at verse 22. It says, but I saw no temple in it for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. And the city had no need of the sun or the moon to shine in it for the glory of God illuminated it and the Lamb is its light. Guys, as John was receiving this vision, he noticed there's no temple. There's no temple. This would be huge for the Jews in that day, but even more than that, it'd be huge for every culture. Every culture in that day had a temple of worship, somewhere where they worshiped their false god or their weird god and the Jews had their temple for the real god and well, we don't even need a temple anymore. So to write this down in those days would have been a challenge. But he goes on to underscore it. He says, you know why there's no temple? Because God is the temple and he's everywhere. In those days, even like our days, there's a misnomer that there's the temple over there. There's the house of God. There's the place where we do churchy things. And then outside we do our own things. It's the mistake of thinking that they're sacred and they're secular. It really is it not in God's economy. He says, no, 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 no. It's all sacred. It's all holy. God's everywhere. And there's a huge mistake. So when we get to heaven, there's going to be no need for a temple because the whole thing, everywhere we go is going to be worship. Have you ever wanted to worship the Lord and gather and you've been unable to because the temple's shut down? Yeah, thank you. You're like, is that a trick question? I thought we were talking about that. <laughs> Have you ever, let me say it differently. Have you ever been to a temple before? Like this? And walked in, check this out, and been so distracted by the lights, by the stuff, by the pastor, by the things, and you actually didn't even connect with the Lord? Has that happened to you before? It happens by the hundreds. There's the te temples are they're limited, and in heaven, he's like, yeah, we don't need a temple anymore. I am the temple, everywhere. Everywhere is holy. Everywhere is worshipful. It's always open, all the time. This is how good heaven's going to be. I, I believe because the Holy Spirit is not limited to buildings made with hands, okay? That there's actually a, a freedom for believers. You've experienced this, haven't you? No matter where you're at, the Holy, it's time to worship. Is the Holy Spirit limited by anything? Is the gospel chained? 
Don't wait for the two-week freeze to be over. I can't wait to get back to church. I can't, I can't wait either, okay? But I don't have to wait. The Holy Spirit is alive and active right now by faith. It says the city, verse 23, has no need of the sun or the moon to shine in it for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light. Now, let me just go ahead and make sure we see how it's written here. It doesn't say there be no sun or moon. It just says there's no need for it. Right now, do you know that we need the sun and moon? Like, if we don't have the sun, like, we're in big trouble. You're like, we live in Newport. We don't have the sun. I know, I know. But, but like, if we really didn't have the sun, man, if it never rose again, or if we didn't have the moon, everything would spin out of control, like, we need them in heaven. I believe, I personally believe there'll be suns and moons in the new heaven and the new earth, okay? But it's not gonna be needed. Because how many of you guys have ever enjoyed a sunset before? And you see the sunset and you're just like, oh man, God's glory. Or sunrise or shooting stars. And now we, we love the stuff that God has put in there. And I believe it's not gonna be gone because here's my reason for that is because heaven's not gonna be dumber than earth, okay? It's gonna be better. As a matter of fact, check this out. When it says there'll be no need for the sun or the moon, in John's day, we, we don't understand this, but I'll, I'll try and help you understand this. In John's day, that would have been a breath of fresh air. Finally, man, this Middle East sun, it's a killer. Air conditioning won't be invented for another 2,000 years. Man, this is tough. Can't escape it. The sun would come out as unpredictable, scorch the land, droughts. As much as the sun brings Life and positivity and warmth and vitamin D and nutrients in those days, it was on, man, it was tough stuff. Even in the Middle East today, 140 degrees, man. Oh, man, cool. No need for the, oh, no need for the sun, just a perfect 68 degrees. Maybe 75. Yeah, yeah, sorry. I've been in Newport too long. And there'd be no need for the moon. Now, I'm just going to say it, believe it or not. In those days, the moon was something to be feared. They actually believed that if you were to go into the moonbeams and be struck by the moon, you would be moonstruck. True story. And they believed it was bad and you become a werewolf and stuff like that. And in the 1300s, they came up with a new Latin word called lunatic. True story. And they, they believed that if the moon hits you, man, you're going to go loony. These are not jokes. This is true. Now, we, all, we know that's not true. Although, have you noticed that when it's a full moon, you do get a little weird? Is that just you? Like, or just my wife? I don't know. It's just anyways, it happens. <laughs> oh, man. I love you, babe. It's not, that's not true. None of that's true. But John would receive this differently 2,000 years ago. Like, man, I don't want to be afraid at night. And, and I'm not going to get dried up and burned out. I'm not going to get scorched by day and... Oh, do you guys know that heaven is going to be so good? There'll be no night. There'll be no burnouts, no dryness, no droughts. None of this stuff. It's just going to be balanced and perfect. This is the sneak preview. The lamb is its light. Now, when the sun does come out in Newport, which is like three times a year, I've got pictures to prove it. When the sun comes out, it actually is pretty powerful. It illuminates everything, doesn't it? Like just when the sun rises, it's just, it's so powerful. Like some days it's more powerful than others, but it's bright. It's doing its job. And he says in this portion of scripture, the lamb will do that. Lighting's important, by, by the way. You can do a lot with lighting. You know, full spectrum, you know, fluorescence and halogens. And there's laser lights. There's power, energy in lights. Our sun's unique. We have one sun, one, one star in our solar system. It's 93 million miles away. 
And let me just chase this rabbit. It's important for some of you out there who are thinking this through. The sun right now burns 4.3 million tons of matter every second. 4.3 million tons. A ton is 2,000 pounds. 4.3 million tons every second. The sun is consuming matter, okay, burning energy, converting it into light. Can you imagine how much matter that is every minute? Can you imagine how much matter that is every hour? Okay, 4.3 million tons every second, every hour. Can you imagine how much matter is consumed? Well, the sun's loud, by the way. I don't know if you ever know that the sun, if you can, you, they, they put microphones up to it and hear it. It's like, it's rumbling. It's crazy. It's like a forest fire. It's crazy. Can you imagine how much matter has been burned up over the last decade? 100 years, century? How about millennium? How much matter? Now, I say that to say this. There is an evolutionary quandary for those who believe in the evolutionary narrative that in order for evolution to take its course, you need millions of years, 20 million, 90 million, 300 million years, listen, in a perfect environment where life can live just like we have, where it's perfectly balanced in order that life could evolve and go from the goo to the zoo to you, you know, it's kind of this fast track narrative. And if the sun were burning that much matter every second, every minute, every hour, every decade, every hundred years, did you know how big the sun would be if it had been, as is needed for the narrative of the evolutionary theory, how big the sun would be a hundred million years ago, okay? The sun would be literally a couple hundred yards from planet Earth. Right now, it's 93 million miles away. Now, if the sun were that much closer, you know how hot it would be? We're talking sizzling bacon here. Like, I need that SPF 1000 today, you know? I just put it out there. I just put it out there. It's just impossible. It's impossible for the evolutionary theory to have the components necessary for it to make sense. Okay. God actually solved that. He says, oh, I just made it. I just, I made it. You good with that? In the beginning, God created heaven and the earth. He just did it. Pick a camp. Pick a camp. Guys, the last thought in verse 23. The Lord is, it's light. When you turn the lights on, you're like, oh, cool, I can see. I can see. When your lights are off, it's like, what the heck, dude? Turn the lights on? This isn't just going to be physical light, though. This is gonna be emotional, relational, physiological. This is gonna be illumination and light on all different levels. Can you imagine knowing all things and being perfectly pure and right? No, no shadows, no darkness. And just good lighting is, oh, changes everything. The lamb is its light, verse 25 or verse 24. And the nations of those who are saved, oh, circle that, shall walk in its light. And the kings of the earth shall bring their glory and honor into it. Its gates shall not be shut at all by day, and there shall be no night there, and they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. Stop right there, eyes up here. We have nations and kings being identified here in the new Jerusalem, bringing their honor and glory into it. The gates are not shut by day or night. There is no night, that's what it says. This is the vision given to John. He said, John, in heaven, the kings of the nations will be there. What kings? Any king. 
What nation? Every nation. What will they be doing? They'll be bringing honor and glory. When I read this the first time, I didn't, I didn't know how to really understand what it means to bring honor and glory to the Lord. It could be two different ways. It could be that when you show up, you point to the Lord and give him honor and glory. Hey, all eyes up on him. Look at him. Whoa. And that's your, that's your message. Have you seen the Lord? Have you seen the Lord? And you give him honor and glory. It's all honor and glory is due to his name. Okay, that's what we do as Christians, by the way. We're just witnesses of him. But it could also, in addition to that, be that when you get to heaven, you're going to bring to heaven with you, listen, your honor and your glory to give to him. Did you know that God made men and women in his image, in his likeness? You're fearfully and wonderfully made. He made you. You're not like the animal kingdom. You're his sons and daughters. And when you live your life on earth for his glory, you will be allowed to enter into heaven, into the new Jerusalem. And you will bring with you everything you did for him on planet earth. The Bible calls it stones and precious jewels and crowns. And when we get to heaven, we're going to take that stuff that we did, our honor and glory, and we're going to worship God with those crowns, casting our crowns at his feet and worshiping with the things that God allowed us to do. Did you know, time out, did you know this is the only time right now that you're going to be allowed to live for Christ by faith? This is the only time you can get crowns and jewels and honor and glory. (gasps) Once you take your last breath, it's over. You will then enter into heaven by faith, through grace, not of works, lest anyone should boast, with your stuff that you did for Christ. You only get one life. This is why it's imperative that we don't waste it. Can you imagine getting into heaven? Just barely made it. What the heck, dude? The Bible says there's going to be people that get to heaven as if they're escaping a house on fire nakedly. You're going to show up to heaven and say, whoa, no way. You know, really ask who around. And you're going to look around, everyone's got crowns and jewels and they're worshiping God and exchanging them and just having, that's how they communicate. It's just, that's going to be what they have in here. Like, oh, dude, is there a crown pawn shop around here? I've got to get me some crown. You, know, you don't want to get to heaven and look for the crown pawn shop, you know. If that does happen, you come talk to me, I'll give you some, I'll just give you a couple, you know. I'll borrow James's crowns over here. Guys, this is what it says. We're going to be in heaven Verse 26, and they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. Because the verse above it, verse 25, it says that its gates shall not be shut at all by day. There shall be no night there. Stop right there, Isaac. If you're almost done, we're just going to verse 27. You ever tried to go in somewhere where they're shutting in five minutes? Closing in five minutes, you're like, oh, what? It's like Clark Griswold when he got to Wally World, you know? You know what I'm saying? National Anthem. The gates are shut. There's not going to be any gates shut. There's no clothes. It's 10 o'clock. You got to get your groceries and get out of Fred Meyer. You know, it's not going to happen. Not only will the gates not shut because there's no reason to shut them, but man, I'll tell you what, right now, God says to you and me that we have access to him right now. Can I just speak to you right now? The Bible says, come, therefore, come boldly into the throne room of God to obtain mercy and grace in your time of need. The throne room of grace? God sits upon a throne of grace, not a throne of, you know, do's and don'ts. It's grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. If you need to enter into the gates, they're open right now. They'll never close. Two more verses and we're done. 
It says, and they shall bring the glory of the honor into it. Verse 27, last verse. But there shall be by no means enter it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Stop right there, eyes up here. I believe this final warning isn't describing what it's going to be like in that, oh, by the way, no abominable thing's going to be able to sneak in. Here's why it's not saying that in the end. Because there'll be no abominable thing around. Everything's going to be dealt with. There's no bad guys. It's already over. This isn't describing what it's going to be like then. This is a verse, verse 27, is a warning and an encouragement for the reader. Now, it's a warning. If your name's not written in the Lamb's book of life, you're not getting in. You have to have your name written in the Lamb's book of life. Romans chapter 10 says, if you believe with your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and that he was raised from the dead, you're saved. It's that simple. And it says here that no abominable thing is going to be getting in. And I don't know about you, but I'm saved. I'm saved. I assume, I pray in Jesus' name that you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, the Savior, the one who died and rose from the dead. It's that simple. Look to him and say, I believe he died. And I believe he rose again. You're saved. What about the abominable stuff that still remains in me? Anybody in here since you've gotten saved, done some abominable, sinful things? Raise up your hand. Really? Weird. Sinners everywhere. Oh, yeah, it's the 11 a.m. <laughs> I've done some things since becoming a Christian. Abominable things. And you know what, though? As a believer... I'm perfectly forgiven. And yet, my old nature's still being dealt with. When I get to heaven, there's a promise. It's not going to be there. Luke, there's going to be no more crud in heaven. No more stuff. No more old man. No more mistakes. No more, ah, I did it again. That's not going to happen. It's good news for a guy like me. I don't know about you. Praise God. And right now, you're probably in trans transition. You're, you're in process. The Apostle Paul, when he gave his life to Jesus Christ, he addressed himself one time. He said, I am the least of the apostles. I'm just the least. A couple years later, he's like, you know what? I'm less than the least. A couple years later, he's like, you know what? Scratch that. I'm the chief of sinners. As he continued to grow closer to the Lord, his self-title changed. He was the least. I'm less than the least. And actually, I'm actually the worst. <laughs> I'm actually the worst. Now, two things, one of two things was happening. Either Paul was secretly sinning more and more, getting worse and worse. Do you think that's an option? You know, maybe he's just, he's just he's blowing it bad. Or, which that's not, the, that's not the answer. Or the apostle Paul was becoming more sensitive as he got closer and closer to Jesus. Things bothered him that didn't once bother him when he was younger. His pride, his arrogance, his his wrath, the things that would, would come out of him because Paul was a pusher. Paul was, he, he was ready to fight. Maybe he had fears in him. Maybe he had things. Can I just encourage you Christians here today? The crud will be gone when we get to heaven. We're going to have so much fun. There's not going to be any messes. There's not going to be any jealousy. There's not going to be any, any weirdness. There's not going to be any fighting. It's going to be crazy. Right now though, there is those, those things are just, man, they're, in my, they're still in me. And the Lord's working them out. 
Like a sliver will eventually work itself to the surface. The Lord's going to work it out. Don't, don't, don't freak out. Maybe you got a spouse. Maybe you got some kids. Maybe you got some imperfect people in your life. The Lord's working it out in their lives. A couple closing thoughts. This was given to John on the island of the Patmos. He'd already been boiled alive. He'd been persecuted and arrested, mistreated and abused. And the Lord said, I see you, John. Let me tell you what I'm all about. Here's the revelation of Jesus Christ. John would be rescued from the island, released, old man. And they would take him to Bible studies and bring him in. They'd say, guess who the guest speaker is tonight at YAG at the young adult group? Who is it? It's John. No. John, John. Johnny boy. And they would bring him in on a stretcher. He was so old. This is John the revelator. John the best friend of Jesus. John the disciple. John the apostle. True story. And they would bring him in and John would sit up. And they'd be ready to take notes. That's going to be so good. Dude, this is John. And he would sit up and he would look at everyone. And he would say, little children, love one another. And that'd be the end of the Bible study. And if I were there, I'd be like, what? That's it? No, bro. I mean, for sure, but no, bro. Like, come on, keep going, dude. You got more than that, dude. You don't need more than that. Paul would go on in 1 Corinthians 13 to say, if you have all knowledge, all wisdom, all gifts, and yet lack love, you have nothing. Here's the problem. Most of us in here today, I fear, will not leave here with that sole purpose in mind. Be more loving. We won't. It's not, not that important to us yet. You're not going to do that. That person doesn't deserve love. We're so mad. We're, he would tell us, love. If you don't love, then what do you, it doesn't matter. You need to wrestle with this. I need to wrestle with this. Here's one of the main problems with, with American Christianity. We're so stinking blessed. We have everything we need. Listen, we have access to and have created our own heaven on earth. This vision of heaven is given to us so we can get out of ourselves and get over ourselves and live for a greater good and have that heavenly mindset that we might have an impact on the nations. But we've created our own heaven. I got all this stuff. You guys got stuff? I got so much stuff. I got more stuff than I need and I got stuff coming in the mail this week. Okay. I got stuff I'm going to order today. Stuff. Don't mess with my stuff. 
And you have to take a few laps around the block and get persecuted, get knocked down. Go to the island. Humble yourself. I want to exhort you. I want to encourage you. I want to exhort and encourage and challenge and convict myself. You're going to die. And you're going to heaven. You're not taking any of your stuff. It's not going. You can have stuff. It's okay. It's not going with you, though. Little children love one another. Grow in love. These three things remain, faith, love, and hope, but the greatest of these is love. We'll, we'll, we'll get this. We will figure this out. The Lord will not quit. He will work this into you. He will break your heart. He'll break you down. Build you back up. This is what he's doing right now. He's going to allow his love to change your life again and again and again and again until you, like that goldsmith is done purifying that gold, sees himself in you. Until he looks at you and says, you, you're just like me now. What if you tried it this week? Just with the closest people around you, the people you already like kind of love, the people you're supposed to love. You just, I'm going to be more loving. The eyes of man are never satisfied. There's not enough stuff in this world to make you happy. You're never going to be happy by this world, okay? Take my word for it. Take my testimony for it. You will be fulfilled by living for the good of others and the glory of God, though. That will fulfill you. Last story in closing. Guys, this heavenly mindset is the only way to get through this life is no alternative. Stephen was persecuted. He was falsely accused. He was arrested. He was openly tried. And he was beaten to death. They stoned him. They took rocks about the size of these pumpkins. And they drug him outside the city. In Acts chapter 7, the longest chapter in the book of Acts, Stephen stood for what he believed was right. He had civil disobedience, biblically. And he had verses, more verses than you'll ever have. Okay, it's the longest chapter in Acts, just quoting scripture. And he had personal humility. And as Stephen was getting these pumpkin rocks to his head, the Bible says he looked up. And the Bible says that his face became like an angel. Blood flowing down, skull cracking. And the Bible says in Acts chapter 7, he saw Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. And he began to glow. And he prayed and he cried. I said, behold, the Lord, I see him. The rocks kept continuing to come. He died a savage death. And before he died, he cried out. He says, Father, forgive these men. Forgive them and don't hold this sin to their account. 
murdered him. How's that even possible? How quick are you to defend yourself? Man, I'm pretty quick to throw a punch pretty fast. And I get my, you know what I'm saying. What's wrong? Love. The only way you can do that is by having a heavenly mindset. You're going to die and you're going to have it. You have nothing to lose by loving your enemy, by loving others. Nothing to lose. Everything to gain. I'm going to ask you guys to bow your heads and close your eyes with me. Father, in Jesus' name, we now surrender to you, we submit to you, and we pray to you, and we ask that you would anoint us to do and to believe these things for your glory and for others' good. In Jesus' name, would you help us be more loving? Lord, I fear and I know that we will fail you in this. We will leave here like a man forgetting what he saw in a mirror. We, we will forget. And yet your faithfulness and goodness and mercy will follow us and you will, Lord, with your rod and staff comfort us. You will get us. And I pray your blessings of the rod and staff upon us. Would you be our shepherd? Guys, if you're willing, if you would, if you would ask the Lord to just take you right where you're at, maybe you're already a believer, but you're just, you forgot that you're going to heaven and you want to get back on track. Maybe you're not a believer and today you want to give your life to Jesus and be saved. Okay, if you're a believer or, or a believer that's about to become a believer and you want to just surrender to Jesus, would you raise up your hands? Raise up both of them. No one's looking. Just say yes, Lord. Just raise up your hands. By doing so, you're saying, yep, I surrender. Just like if I was going to rob a bank, I'd say, stick them up. And you put your hands up. I surrender. I surrender. Holy Spirit, our hands are up because we need you. Would you fill us up just like... It's like we plug our phone into the wall, just get filled. Would you fill us up? My hand is up too, Lord, both my hands. Save those who, Lord, who, who haven't been born again yet. In Jesus' name, save them today. November 15th, 2020, in Jesus' name. And those who are saved and those who are walking and living for you who are gonna die, we're gonna go to heaven. We're gonna be here, coming and going. The gates won't be shut. We're gonna bring our glory with the nations. Lord, would you anoint us, Holy Spirit, with the power that is not our own. You can put your hands down. We thank you for all you've done and all you're doing. Lord, would you bless us these next two weeks during this challenge? Not to just take it passively, but to be active, to lead, to invest eternally. Thank you for all you've done. Bless us now as we go our way. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said? Amen. Amen.